recovering. It's about getting back to who we really are and what we're really here for. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Welcome back to another episode of Recovering. I am your host, Jennifer Don Watts, the Reverend Jennifer Don Watts. <laughs> and I'm here with Dan Hines again. We uh, had an amazing conversation about faith last episode. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we realized there were some things we didn't cover. Basically, if you listen to it, Dan is begging me to talk about hell. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Dan was unaware that he was asking you, begging you to talk about hell. But okay, fine. Yeah. Maybe I just want to talk about hell. <laughs> um, so we discussed it together, mm-hmm. and uh, hell is a great topic, I think, to talk about because it really does feel like part of the source of all of the fighting about what we talked about last episode is really this debate about if people will go to hell if they don't agree with you know particularly it seems like my position, but also other religions have their own thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. But also tied in with that is this question of evil, mm-hmm. essentially. And, you know, what was so fascinating is yesterday I was telling you about an experience I had and it it seemed dark to me. And you had said you had agreed, like you kind of, you subtly kind of agreed. And sometimes when I talk about those type of things, especially with my psychology friends, you know, they kind of give me the side eye and they're sort of like, you know, cause it's again, this misconception when you talked about caricatures, like Christians just believe that Satan is around every corner and they believe, you know, they blame everything on the devil and they don't take mm-hmm. personal responsibility for doing their own work. And so I found that when I did take responsibility for doing my own work uh, psychologically and developmentally, I felt like kind of embarrassed that I still believed in evil Mm. and that darkness and demons and angels and what I would call the lie, the effects of this story that's an illusion on myself and others. And so it's meaningful for me. First of all, uh, I've noticed even since our conversation yesterday, just to be able to be honest, like how hard it is Mm -hmm. for me, even after all of this work to just say, yep, I believe in evil. And yep, I believe it's working in these situations. And yeah, I mean, my best guess, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I'm pretty sure there's demons. You know, like it's hard for me to say mm-hmm. that. It feels, and you know, my supervisor has always said, and I've said in this podcast, one of the ways you know you're being real is it feels risky. And so it feels risky for me to say these things. And so then I wanted to say them all the more. I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's what we're trying to do is be authentic. And so, yeah, just the... um mm-hmm. I suppose courage or my own dedication to authenticity was part of what motivated me to have this conversation with you. Additionally, you were, I don't know if it was an assistant or at some point in your time as a priest, you worked for an exorcist, correct? Yeah. It was a pastor who very quietly, he didn't, the congregation didn't know, uh, other than maybe a few people in the congregation 
who worked alongside of him sometimes for these sessions, but he essentially had a deliverance ministry, an exorcism ministry, uh, was an exorcist. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know what language he would tend to use. Um, he was very, I think he talked more about seeing it as a, as a freedom, like a liberating from oppressive or possessive energy, um, some type of a force or a demon or an evil spirit. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a remarkable, uh, year that I got uh, quietly introduced to this ministry that he had and was, and was very, it was, it was beautiful because I, I loved the boundaries he had around it. I think he was very careful about it, but it was my first exposure to, to someone who actually had that ministry, you know, because we sort of see it, we certainly see it in the gospels with Jesus. Definitely. Yeah. There's all these stories of demoniacs and people who are suffering from some type of an evil spirit. Um, it shows up in some of Jesus stories as well. So, yeah. So I was aware of it, uh, from that level. And of course, yeah, I grew up in a tradition that talked a lot about spiritual warfare, talked a lot about the way in which we, the more we try to be faithful, the more we try to be true to God, the more we're going to be affected by these other entities that are going to try to deceive us and knock us off or keep us away from the path, you know. And and I remember reading C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters too. That had a big impact on me as a as a teenager as well. The idea that there are these conspiring demons out there, in this case, writing letters to each other trying to help each other to um, mentor one another, you know, in deceiving and uh, tempting Christians, you know, and C.S. Lewis's wonderful imagination in that book. So, yeah, so that was, so so when we got talking about this after our, after our last podcast and uh, had this idea, because we weren't going to talk about this. When no. This, this podcast is just sort of happening because we feel like we should just keep going. That's how we roll though, right? Yeah, that totally. was the same with Very the so. retreat. Yeah, yeah. We had a plan and then yeah. in the moment and, and well, we I'm sure go we'll get it. to some of the other themes we've talked about, but the fact that we just wanted to keep rolling with this and also that it had this live energy for us. So yeah, I guess uh, as we get into this and you know, we're linking this conversation about the afterlife and about heaven and hell um, as sort of states of reality, uh, dimensions, whatever you want to call them, and uh, and uh, destinies. Uh, linking that to this larger, I think, conversation about good and evil and the way in which we have to hold all of these judgments and tensions, you know, between um, what is true and filled with uh, life and light and what is the, the the sort of downward destructive energy and yeah i i i don't know i i move all, i move all over the place with this one so it's, it's gonna be fun just to, to, to kick the ball around and see what it feels like between the two of us because i think it's an area that's still not defined for me i don't have a really clear metaphysics about all of this and i don't want to i i expended a lot of philosophical energy in my twenties on these questions and I'm not in, too interested in going to revisit all of that stuff about the nature of evil or defining these things too tightly or having to kind of explain them all. Um, totally. So where, where I like to land right now is I, I can't help but recognize that there is something f- really deeply r- wrong 
you know, just the news about Russian troops, hundreds of thousands of them on the border of Ukraine. It's beyond insane. It's like this some self-destruct mechanism that we can't help but be so recklessly violent and destructive that we would actually, you know, take these lives and throw them at each other with weapons and blow each other apart and shoot at each other and indiscriminately kill innocent bystanders who are collateral damage, all these, and that the media normalizes all of this, you know, like that we, so I, I just see that and there's no other word, there's no other word I have than evil. It's evil. It's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's perpetuated. It's like a, it's got inertia. It's kind of rolling forward. But really when we look back at the last hundred years, I mean, we'll look at the whole human history, but I just want to look at the last the 20th century, the amount of just incredible destruction we've weighed on each other for what, you know, what were we trying to achieve with all of it? And now we're going to do it again. Like we haven't learned, we haven't. You know, so I, I, I recognize that there's, and I see it in the ecological disaster that's looming with the climate crisis. I see it in the incredible inequality. I see it in the way dark money operates with the corruption of our, our basic political process is corrupted and beyond, you know, what I ever imagined it being like, you know, I'm really sort of disheartened and cynical now after being involved in politics for these number of years now, what I've seen up close, seen behind the scenes, seen how it actually operates, how the decisions are made, how much influence powerful people really do have who have really, awful agendas and are very self narcissistic and self-serving. And, and yet those are the people who gravitate into places of power and who seem to have access to this. So all those things. So yeah, I, so structural evil, the principalities and powers to use Walter Wink's language, the theologian, Walter Wink uh, is for real, like it's for real. And then on a personal level, there's something that sabotages our lives. Seems like it's got this ability to, take good intentions and, and just twist them and corrupt them. And I've seen up close as a priest and a counselor and a small group leader now my whole life, so many people that were just trapped, you know, trapped in obsessive. And I can, I can put it back to trauma sometimes. I can put it back to their family of origin and or I could put it for myself, you know, I can see it in some of the events of my life and some experiences I've had, but it doesn't explain it. There's something bigger, something looming over all of this. And so I, I know that all wisdom traditions end up talking about something like evil, whether you, where they even just talk about it in terms of illusion or ignorance, but it's deeper than that. Like it, it's recognized that we got something else going on. So yeah, anyway, that was sorry. How that was a long, <laughs> long-winded thing that I just all of a sudden realized. Oh man, I but I care about this because it, it is. A, it, there, I don't think we can do our work as healers, as people of agents of transformation, unless we fully recognize what's happening and take it in and grieve it and feel it in our bones and have it break our hearts over and over again and cause us to get angry and defiant and angry and loving at the same time. Like, because it is a force we have to push back against. We have to claim life in the face of death and, 
and destruction. We have to recognize that there is power here and we have to then meet it on some level of deep power as well. Otherwise I think we're being naive and, and Pollyanna and wishful thinking. And we don't really, we're not really embracing how powerful it is. The forces we're against if we want to claim life. Yeah. I agree. Well, first of all, I've been guilty of a monologue or two. So I'm going to let that one slide. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Steve mm. Brownlow knows when we meet together, I've got about 25 minutes of talking before he even gets a word in. <laughs> so it's all good, brother. You're, you're in the right place. Okay. Um, I would say a few things stood out. So mm. at the beginning, you talked about like what we're doing here today and why we're having this conversation. Mm. And is it philosophical in nature? And I would say no. My friend, Dr. Peter Rollins, who is a philosopher, would be horrified if I gave my I reckons. <laughs> he doesn't really like that. So I'm not going to do that. But for me, the point of this conversation is, one, I feel like it's worth considering. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the fact that we can't talk about evil that we can't talk about darkness or the effects of a particular energy that could be affecting us, that has consequences. So I feel like naming it for at least myself is very important. And second of all, I'm being honest. And I think, again, one of my primary values is authenticity. And so I feel like I need to, again, be the change I want to see in the world. And I would like to see people who are leaders and teachers, particularly people who are progressive and have let go of a lot of older Christian ideas. I'd love to hear what they actually feel and think about these things instead of feeling like it's one more elephant in the room that we're not allowed to talk about. Because there is sort of a, well, one book that we read about racism at Q Faith is called The Conspiracy of Silence. Mm. And there's something about being silenced about a topic that allows it to gain momentum and yeah. power. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, being honest is really important to me. Naming evil feels very important if we're going to address it or have any hope. Also, I just think that there's something about, for me anyhow, everything that you spoke about, while I do feel like it is very true, Part of the interest for me is if this does really exist, if there really is an evil force or darkness or something called the Satan, I don't really think it's a guy with pitchfork and horns or anything, but if there's some sort of larger evil energy and if there is some sort of other evil energies like demons or whatever, it really does allow people a new lens into what's happening Mm-hmm. And it doesn't label people then as evil. I really believe that people are inherently good and they're mm-hmm. born good and you see a little baby and they're just so innocent and amazing. And it does appear to me like something is affecting them and something is oppressing them and causing these things. And so I don't think it means we can't take any personal responsibility. That's the rub because a lot of Christians just blame everything on the devil and then they don't do their own work. However, I think the opposite can also be true where everything is just us and everything's just psychology and everything's just our own trauma and we're just doing it all. And I feel like that is also this kind of oppressive type of energy. And so if people really are affected by something, which I would refer to as the lie, a particular story that 
you know, it affects how even people study psychology so that then they can learn what makes human beings buy stuff and then affect their behavior and then get them addicted to things and consuming. Like that is a kind of evil. And I'm okay with the fact of if people listen to this and some, at least if people are thinking about it, like, okay, what do you believe about evil? You know, to the listener today, mm-hmm. what do you believe about this? If, at least if people are thinking about it and naming it, that's a really good start and being honest about it. Um, but for me, you know, I think I was telling you before when we spoke about this briefly, there is something where it lets people off the hook more and it helps people to cope with the shame of, well, then I'm bad or I have this badness in me. If we're oppressed people trying to get free from this, then that's very different than being bad people trying to get good. And so I really think for me, that's part of my motivation, but also now I got my own monologue going here. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> a monologue for monologue. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> um, but you were saying you were really influenced by C.S. Lewis and I, mm-hmm. I wanted to say, I was really influenced by Scott Peck's book mm-hmm. on Glimpse of the Devil yep. uh, really early in my study of psychology. And he kind of set out to prove that what people thought was demon possession was actually just like disassociative identity disorder, et cetera. And so I was really into it because I'm like, hey, maybe this was just all psychological issues that people had. And in a, in a lot of cases, it was. But he did find specific cases that were really clearly not that. And there was something else going on. So there was this legitimate evidence. And that book really affected me because I was like, wow, this is a study. Mm -hmm. This is a therapist, a psychiatrist. You know, he has his PhD, whatever, et cetera. I'm pretty sure he has his PhD, right? Yeah. He does. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's not just somebody just... He's a medical dog. He's an MD, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So not just somebody just making this up and then... You know, there was just other, you know, stories I heard. I, I remember this one story. I don't know if it was NPR or something, but somebody that, you know, had gone through this where the, the demons were actually, they were in Africa and they said the demons were friendly at first. And this, you know, the, and that then Elvis and it changed in the hooks. Mm. It was a really like powerful, I don't know. So anyhow, I've had enough pieces of evidence that support it where I don't just feel like it's wishful thinking. So that's why I wanted to talk to you. And it really did surprise me when you had said, that you believed, like I said, do you believe demons are real? And tell me what you actually think now, because you can say, you know, for yourself. But I think the gist of it was like, you kind of do, you know? Yeah. So, you know, my own very limited experience and and the things that I've encountered. And you're right, Scott Peck's book, um, People of a Lie, made a big difference in my life too when I read it. And a book he refers to by Malachi Martin called Hostage to the Devil, that book, yeah, about actually documenting some exorcisms, fascinating book too. Yeah, all of these different sources. Just, just, and then now at this at this stage of my life, just kind of looking at all the experiences, both within myself and all the other people I've spent time with now, and the stories they've told. This idea of evil coming into our lives as a presence, like as an actual presence that enslaves us, tries to harm us, is the opposite of the forces within me that want to find freedom and joy. In the tradition, we call we do call that an evil spirit, a demon. We give it a name uh, sometimes. Sometimes it's very complex systems where those are all identified 
by a certain type of energy as well. Like they're, they're actually named in the guild of folks who are tasked with this role in the community. So there's a teaching around all of that. Uh, I hold all that kind of loosely. I, I'm okay with the fact that we maybe personify these energies and give them names and do that because it's just part of our narrative of how we try to explain these things. But I think the phenomena, the actual experience itself is quite real. And I like what you said too. I think it really, it's really helpful, Jen, that when we are trying to free one another, you know, and find our way to freedom, it is helpful to say, this is not actually the essential part of who you are. Like it's not, you're not completely corrupted and therefore it's coming from some character flaw in you that is actually not able to be healed or, but it's saying that this is actually a force outside of you that is inhabiting you, that is oppressing you, that is attacking you. And when you see it as something that's not intrinsically who you are, but is coming towards you or has really even sometimes even really meshed itself into you, right? I mean, really done a number of entwining. But then the idea that we can unravel, like separate, I think that's very helpful. I also think that what one of this this conversation leads to is the power of ritual that we do need. Like I... Amen, as brother. Pri- preach it. I know where I you're know. going. Do it. Do well, it. Well, as a, as a as a priest, one of the things I love is on Monday Thursday, the bishop consecrates oil in the Anglican tradition, consecrates a you know a fairly large reservoir of jar of oil. Then the rest of the year, I as a priest, I use that oil for unction for healing, you know, and it's got mojo. It it smells like oil. It feels like oil. I take it and I will smear it on somebody's forehead in a time in their life of deep anguish or the need for liberation or freedom. And we've been doing it for thousands of years and the church inherited it from earlier traditions. It's not like the church invented it. So we've, we have the sacraments of healing and we have even the object itself has been consecrated for that task and is kept in a separate cupboard is marked and recognized as now sanctified by the community. I I think so, you know, and then when someone is feeling this kind of weight and oppression, we actually have a ritual energy to serve them. And I, I know it has psychological power. I know it's not just operating on a spiritual plane, but I have no problem with seeing it also as somehow very real beyond just the, the placebo or psychological effect these rituals have. I think we are actually playing with maybe like kids in a chemical lab who don't really know what we're doing, but we're, we're playing with power, like real, real power. And we are counteracting energy and releasing grace into a situation, I think on a very real level. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I think for me, like I, I definitely feel like you're right. This conversation is leading somewhere because otherwise, I mean, if we just focus on what you started with, it's very depressing, right? It's just very, people are very depressed and it's just like, what can we do? And we're destroying the planet and now we're going to war and this is happening, that's happening. And so for me, of course, 
there is a hope and it's about hope. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a two. I mean, I can only stand that energy of negativity <laughs> for so long, right? Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm doing it selfishly. I don't care. Um, but uh, yeah, there's something about where do we go from here? And I feel like for myself, I can only speak from my own experience. That's where meetings were a start for me in recovery to have regular meetings where I went, where we told the truth, where we got really honest about temptation and our frailties and our weakness. And just to be able to say those things out loud where shame didn't have a place. And we could also not just offer our experience with the hard things, but our it says we offer our experience, strength, and hope with each other. Yeah. And somehow encouraging each other of what's working and what's helpful in recovery they say in 12 step, it's a disease of forgetting, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, that's the spiritual malady. And so we forget, we forget that actually when my partner and I start our morning off, I'm dropping the boyfriend thing again. (laughs) 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 I'm in that phase. (laughs) Um, But when we start our morning off with meditation, we forget the power of it. And then we do Mm -hmm. it again. And it's like, man, like this is so incredible. Sometimes I'll have a meeting to go to. We'll be in a rush. And I say like, just five minutes. Can we just do five minutes? And I set the phone into airplane mode, put the timer on for five minutes. And for those of you, if you have a partner out there that you want to try that with, you can do it any time of day. It doesn't have to be the morning. You could shut this podcast off right now and say, Hey, let's just try this. If you have a friend out there, a sibling, even your children, if you want to say, Hey, do you want to just be quiet? The silence helps us. The love emanating from our hearts helps us. Sometimes for myself, it's just receive. That's the word, just just opening myself up to receive that love that is flowing towards me all the time from what I believe to be the source of love, but also from people who care. Uh, We forget sometimes how many people actually have love flowing from their hearts towards us. And because of shame, we put a block up. So sometimes time and meditation for me is receiving and then I'm filled up and then I have love to give and I feel lovable and I'm not acting out of shame. And that energy, the darkness, whether it's through advertising or through others, whatever it is, it doesn't have the same impact on me. I can't be used as easily as like a pawn. So, you know, you were talking about ritual Mm -hmm. and I would say, I don't know how you would say this comes up, but what came up for me is practice came up for me as spiritual disciplines, the contemplative life. And all of a sudden, if we're naming evil as a power, and again, just to clarify for everybody listening, I don't think you have to believe what Dan believes or what I believe at all. I really love that even at Q faith community, I call it the lie, not because of the book, people of the lie. Although people ask me that all the time. They're like, did you give Scott Peck credit? I'm like, I really didn't say it because of that book. Cause I think that book actually names evil in people in a way that, is the worst cases of evil. It's so it kind of lets us yeah. off the hook. Yeah, it Peck, doesn't, Peck, we don't have Peck to name it. It's quite, it's quite rare actually that his encounters with, with yeah. the people he would call an evil. So evil is a very specific category for him right. of people who have really then sold out. Yeah. yeah and so, for me, I feel yeah. like we're all powerless over the lie. Yeah. And I feel like the lie affects all of us. And the reason that I call it the lie is just because of the scripture where Jesus says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what is it setting me free from? Oh, the lie. So that's why I called it the lie. But the beauty of, with Q faith, I find anyway, 
if I can say so for myself, <laughs> and Dan comes though, is that people get to define the lie however they want. So if you're listening and you truly feel like the lie is psychological in nature and it has to do with learned patterns of behavior that are passed down generationally, et cetera, totally cool. Like that's fine. And you don't have to, you know, believe in any sort of dark energy or anything like that. For those of you who do believe that there is a dark energy, but you wouldn't call it Satan or demons, totally cool. That's fine too. But I think the beauty of is if we can name it first, that something is affecting us that is more than just our own waking up and being like, Hey, I'm going to be addicted to my iPhone today. Like some, some other shit's happening out there and that we can own our own reactions, our own free will to choose what we're going to do with our day. And if we're even willing to try spiritual practices, whatever it is that you're motivated, if you want to try recovery meetings, if you want to try what Dan was talking about in terms of the oil, you know, I know that my partner's Catholic, so he'll make the cross on my forehead very deeply meaningful for me, mm-hmm. very meaningful, even though it's not part of my tradition. So whatever people are motivated to try, now people aren't just trying it to be a good person, which is, I think, a lot of what, you know, kind of is the false motivation of spiritual disciplines, like, oh, God will be mad at me if I don't do this. Now it's like, why don't we do an experiment? Why don't we try some of these things? First of all, notice how freaking hard it is. No matter how much you want to do it, notice the resistance to even doing it or sticking with it. But also maybe just monitor if you do incorporate prayer. For those of us that do like scripture, if you do incorporate reading some of those wisdom teachings, if you do incorporate meditation, mm-hmm. anything, right? Fasting, you know, if people incorporate yeah. fasting, whatever those disciplines are, community, gathering, like quinonia, just notice if your life is different, right? And I feel like that is inspiration anyway for some of these problems that we face. And I believe that even when you're talking about the war, whatever energy is coming out of me as I pray for that situation, I really am praying that the people would wake up to who they really are because that's not who they are and that's not who they were made to be. And whatever that dark energy is, I really believe in the energy coming out of us in prayer is good energy that combats that. So gives me hope anyway. Yeah. Not that it'll work, but it's still something. We're not completely helpless. I like saying we're powerless over the lie. I'm not completely powerless. I have a lot of power in me that God's given me, but I am powerless over the lie by myself. Um, but we're not helpless either. Like there's things that we can do. That's right. Well, and then this is recognition that there is a limitless universal loving power accessible to us. Mm. It's just not coming out of my petty little ego mm-hmm. with my own will, like trying to make it happen on its own. That's the difference, right? For me, that's why I love the world, the language of powerlessness because it, yeah, as separated from the source, I'm powerless mm-hmm. plugged in and like on all these things you're describing the only one i would add to the list yeah please do is this what you and our father doing. is it father again i can't remember <laughs> yeah father right <laughs> or reverend i think he's oh, a bull God. I was, da- daniel, <laughs> tell me more daniel, daddy daniel what i was called daddy? as a baby it's, uh, <laughs> daniel works for me dan works fine do you like um, daddy <laughs> daddy <laughs> this is gonna get weird uh, really fast it's totally evil weird. we're, we're totally just gonna weird. blame do, it on get, evil i do get padre every once in a while which i was you know especially if i'm doing something to do with the legion or remembrance day or something like that uh padre is always interesting language the only one i would add is the because you named a lot of beautiful solitude practices but i would also name this like soulful 
deep conversation. We talk about evil in our lives and the way the lie deceives and oppresses us and holds us down. And, but I think friendship and deep, like deep soulful friendship and deep connection with someone and the ability to, to take chances to really say what's on my heart and also give, to give voice to things that are half baked, like half formed in me, like, or dreams that I've had or things I'm a bit ashamed about like to give those light to actually speak them in in a loving presence of another human being who cares about me and can hold them you know and receive them and honor them that liberates me like that also frees me from evil that also helps me learn to distinguish between the truth because I, I can sense it now in my, in the words that are coming. So I think any kind of practice where we have a safe place to speak and really communicate what's on our heart or express ourselves in whatever way we, we need to do that, um, is essential for me. Like it's essential. I have to have this type of community. Without this, I'm lost. I, I know I'm, I'm in trouble. And yet I also need to be, I also can't do this all the time in community or, or even in deep friendship. I have to do this on my own. I have to be alone. There's no question about it. So I've got to, I have to develop those practices too. Both, yeah. That, that are true for me in sol- deep solitude too, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I did, I think I d- did say community, Kinonia yeah, you community. Did. Yeah, you said yeah, community. But yeah. I really yeah. feel like this topic you're bringing up is, it's, I could, I feel like I could do a whole episode with mm-hmm. you on it. Maybe that'll be the next one. Who knows? But I feel like one to one relationship, there's something different in it. Even the amount of times in the Bible that twos and threes are brought up, yeah. that's really common. People were sent out in twos by Jesus, they weren't sent out by themselves. In 12 step, the, one of the first things they teach you is pick up the phone and they make a list of phone numbers and you really have to get over yourself. You really have to be humble. And when you're actually in pain in the moment, you have to pick up the phone and they tell you even to practice in the beginning before you need it because it's so hard for us to swallow our pride and risk being hurt and pick up that phone and say, I'm really struggling right now. Somehow because of my own level of emotionality and sensitivity and I'm more willing to be dependent, I've been able to practice that tool more than others. And I'm completely indebted to the community for keeping me afloat. You know, you're, you being one of them and many Mm -hmm. others. And so it is easier for me, but I, I feel like pick up the phone is another tool. And there's something, I gave a talk one time at Q Faith about what I see the real problem is for people, if I really, you know, could kind of name the spiritual malady, and this is just my own lens and I'm a two, so, you know, I'm biased and everything, but my description of the problem is this intimacy anorexia that people are suffering from. Mm. And I feel like intimacy is our oxygen, like it's our food, like it really does fill us up. And so people, if you could see their souls which interestingly, we kind of picture the soul sometimes in the body or smaller than the body, but the soul is beyond the body. You know, we can feel someone's energy when they come to us. It's really neat. But if we could see people's soul and we could see how emaciated and how much people are struggling for connection, I really think we would have compassion on one another. And we would see if we could visibly see what it means to have an honest conversation where we're safe 
and we can let those defenses down and be filled up by that intimacy, the power of that. So I have a lot of compassion for people out there that just want a safe person to talk to. And I realize that most of us aren't safe because most of us are kind of in this narcissistic culture where you've got to be perfect and got to post your perfect pictures and we're all competing with each other. So that's why for me, recovery is a big thing that I push because it's a container that is set up to be safe. There's no crosstalk. It's only an hour. They're not going to keep you for three hours like me and Dan might today. (laughs) You know, and um, Dan's looking at it at the time to try to save us, <laughs> making the cut symbol. Um, but you know, they, there's a container, there's a set of structures, just like for you and the work that you do with wisdom circles. What mm-hmm. are they called again? Are they wisdom circles circles? of trust? Circles of trust, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And so I feel like for those of you out there that are like, yes, I need a safe place to connect. And it doesn't mean that every recovery meeting is perfect. There's recovery meetings I've had to leave because of the unhealth in them. So I'm not, I'm not that person that's just like, this thing is the best and nothing else. Everything is limited, but there's at least a chance that you can experience some of that honesty and connection you're looking for. And so that's why it's really important to me. And then out of that friendships grow because, you know, one time we made a podcast episode and one of the pieces of feedback of all the things we said, we thought we were just brilliant, but all they said is, I just wish I had a friend like that. Right. right? I just wish I had a friend like that. And I get that. But for you and I to become friends, took a very long time. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of times for me, I can speak for myself, a lot of loneliness in Mm -hmm. my life. And uh, I had to do a lot of work to become a safer person to attract safer people. Mm -hmm. And so in the meantime, at least there's recovery. And for those of you that can't get out, I mean, I did one of my recovery journeys all over the phone. Like I, all the years I was in it, it was just by the phone. So it was very convenient. I could just pick up the phone. And uh, sometimes even late at night, I would just be struggling to fall asleep because I was so lonely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just call and I would just listen to the voices and something about the shares and the voices speaking the truth was enough that my soul got enough that it needed just to be able to fall asleep. So Anyhow, that's a little bit about my experience, but I I really appreciate that you're bringing that up because I feel like it's mm-hmm. crucial. Like I just feel like even if we did everything else and we're missing this is going to deeply impact humans. And it, it only seems to be getting worse with like iPhones and disconnection and all that kind of stuff. So, so here's the, here's, the, I think the, um, I listened to an amazing uh, podcast recently and it was, it was remarkable actually. It was, a, I, he's, he's from Ireland. He's a storyteller, but it's a long story. I won't get into it right now. The, the gist of it is that evil often takes the form of isolation. Mm. So we think of evil sometimes as this sort of, you know, attacking oppressive energy, but it has a coldness which cuts us off from each other. And the irony is that we live in a culture that's trying to network, you know, through these phones and all the social media. And yet the isolation is increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. somebody, I think it was Father Richard, somebody said, we are more connected than we've ever been. And we're lonelier than we've ever been. Right. So there's yeah. something going on with that. And I think for me, even the metaphor, again, for those listening, mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be a real thing. But for me, the metaphor of this idea of the sheep when they're together, they're safe, you know, and the shepherd guides them. But 
you know, the wolves will try to get a sheep that's alone, right? So there's something about when we wander off from the flock and we're by ourselves and the wolves can kind of come around it and attack. And so again, whether it's a metaphor that we're being attacked, whether it's real that a darkness is attacking us when we're isolated and alone, I have certainly felt that. And I I know that by myself, I'm powerless. There's something I need help. I need either help from divine. I need help from another person. I really do ask for help. You're part of our faith community. You see my actual prayer requests on our group. Mm -hmm. And I, I do experience relief when people pray. And so even if it is only psychological and I just, it's a placebo because people are responding, it doesn't matter. It works, you know, exactly. it's great. And exactly. it's, and it helps me also to be less focused on the lie of self-sufficiency and it helps me acknowledge as a human i'm relational i'm tribal i need these people you know often in 12-step we're like i really wish i didn't need you fuckers (laughs) but i do i can't get sober by myself you know i can't get sober from the lie by myself so i need you fuckers. and why does it have to be you Exactly. Exactly. Like because when it. I look around here, there's a bunch of losers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh wait, hang on, I'm here too. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, so yeah, yeah there's just it's something great. about needing each other that is and even hmm. Cloud and Townsend said that, you know, they're psychologists, they also, you know, are from a particular, you know, form of Christianity, but it was interesting to me that, you know, they've their boundaries books sold over two million copies. I mean, they've been all over, they've spoke, they've studied, they've written a bunch a ton of books. And I remember people said, like, of everything that you've learned, what is the biggest thing that stands out to you? And they both said, We need each other. That's, That's the thing. That's yeah. It. Okay, well, we're we're hitting our goal here. We are, we're good, we're good. <laughs> we're good we're for bang time. On. <laughs> okay. Okay, we don't need somebody to pull us off the air. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for listening, everyone. I've really enjoyed this time here with you, Dan, and I look forward to doing another episode. Me too. It's fun. Take care. Recovering is about listening, and it's also about remembering those out there that are just like us in spiritual need. So carry the message. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share this on Facebook or Twitter, or even text the link to a friend. To keep it, we have to give it away. Cause we're in this together now